Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Ocean Impact Podcast. My name is Amelia Helt, and I'll be one of your co-hosts for today. Welcome to episode four of our Pitch Fest 2022 series. I can't believe how quickly we are flying through these fantastic interviews. As always, I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Tim Silverwood. Tim, how are you going today? Really well, thanks, Amelia, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in to episode four. Yeah, we got a great one today. Alexander Dungate, co-founder of On Deck Fisheries AI, who were the winner of the Sustainable Ocean Harvesting Spotlight Award presented by Austral Fisheries. Tim, it's so great to have partners like Austral on board for Pitchfest to spotlight incredible, you know, innovation like this software, which is groundbreaking in sustainably monitoring catch at sea. Yeah, and I think they must have been absolutely stoked to see Alexander and the On Deck Fisheries AI team get this accolade because they've been pioneers doing what so many other fisheries should have been doing for a long time. And, you know, the they can be their best and have the biggest impact. This is Austral we're talking about by trying to level the playing field to bring everyone else up to their standard. And to do that, we are going to need a wealth of solutions. So, Love that Alexander, he's young, he's driven, he's passionate, and he's also targeted a wicked, wicked problem and developed a very novel solution using AI. So I just can't wait to see Alexander succeed and to see these solutions adopted at scale because it really can transform what happens at sea because, as we know, what's out there, despite what the legislation says, It happens where no one can see. So anything that we can do to get eyeballs and vision on what happens out there to make sure people do what they're supposed to be doing is going to be a huge step forward. Exactly. And I mean, you know, Alexander mentions it's called on deck AI because, or on deck fisheries AI, because the problems happen on deck. So, you know, misreporting of catch uh, at sea, you know, it's, it's contributing to the global collapse of fisheries. It's a huge problem. And the traditional method to review this, so, you know, there's a part of this which is uh, fishers, like, reporting what, they've, what their catch is. Then there's a reviewing of video footage after the fact. It's, it's archaic. You've got a person sitting in a room manually watching all of this footage. It's not scalable. It's slow. It's expensive because you've got to have people physically doing this. And then enter, you know, on deck with their automated catch monitoring, which makes it faster, you know, more affordable and and more scalable too. And we know that scalable solutions are so critical uh, to make the greatest impact on planet ocean. You know, it's got to be scalable. That is a key thing that so many of the pitch vest finalists, you know, have is this ability to scale, to make change. Yeah, look, and it's it's clear these these guys have got a ways to go. They've got some obviously really good first steps in their journey. But again, back to the whole purpose behind Ocean Impact Organization and of course initiatives like PitchVest is to shine a nice bright light on those people and startups out there who are looking at a big problem and saying, you know what, I think I might be one of the people to help solve that problem. And we, you know, this Alexander, he's an oceanpreneur. We love that term. It's like someone who sees a commercial opportunity. He's got a rich drive for his career, but he's doing it in a way which is all about positive ocean impact. So another one of these are, you know, poster boys, poster girls, poster 
whatever. Poster child. <laughs> poster child of, uh, of, of what we love to see here at Ocean Impact Organisation. Too right, Tim. Uh, you, you know, you're exactly on it there. And it's, it's so great to see, you know, young ocean leaders like Alexander put their minds behind these issues and let that be, you know, a message to people listening. If you've got an idea, you know, you can, you can be winning one of these Spotlight Awards potentially. Uh, you know, there's no limit on, on what people can achieve. And I think that knowing that your age can't stop you, you know, money doesn't always stop you. In fact, the money thing makes me think of we had Gulp, the device by Matter in last year's, uh, sorry, the year before Ocean Impact Pitch Fest with Adam. And he talked about creating that device with, you know, under $100 worth of uh, £100 of parts, you know, with an old washing machine in his shed. So there's no limits. People can do these things and we love to see it and we love to support it and we love to shine a light on it. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I think a big thing, and Alexander is particularly good at it, is, you know, building your network or building your community because, you know, trying to be an outsider to go and solve some of these complex challenges in the global fisheries supply chain and traceability, I mean, you're going to find a giant number of barriers and obstacles along the way. But what you can do is come at it with knowledge and experience, but most importantly, Build that network of people around you who have the insight that you don't have. And so I just love that Alexander, he's very active, he's out there, he's participating in a lot of the international conferences and forums, he's putting his hat in the ring in every opportunity, he's a SOA, um, young, what's they call it? Young OA, Ocean Leader or something? Yeah, so just you know, get out there. There's a lot of lessons. So for young people tuning in, um, really make sure you listen close to this one because I think you'll get some inspiration and some ideas. Yeah, and Tim, I mean, that's a great piece of advice for us to launch into the episode with, get out there and build your network. Uh, thanks, Alexander, for, for joining us today. And Tim, thank you for that brilliant little uh, gem of advice at the end there. No problems. Enjoy, everyone. I'm super excited to have on the Ocean Impact podcast, Pitchfest 2022 series, the co-founder of On Deck Fisheries AI, Alexander Dungate, who uh, these guys were also the winner of the Sustainable Ocean Harvesting Spotlight Award in Pitchfest 2022, supported by Austral Fisheries. Alexander, how are you? I'm doing well, Tim. So nice to be with you today. Calling in from Vancouver. You said it's a pretty cold uh, evening over there, but you just had a pretty exciting week with the Impact 5 Congress. I wonder if you wouldn't mind starting by telling us a little bit about Impact 5 and the experience for you. Yeah, happy to. Impact 5 was hosted in Vancouver, uh, my hometown, which was very fortunate. And it was honestly one of the most energizing weeks I can remember. Uh, having There's over 4,000 participants kind of all, all packed into one building. And it was an incredible wealth of knowledge that I just don't have access to. There's uh, a big emphasis on Indigenous communities and, and youth voices at the conference. And it was a terrific chance to get to talk to kind of Maori uh, elders and uh, folks from around Canada and, and Australia as well, uh, everywhere. Really, really cool week. Awesome. Yeah, such an important uh, subject. I believe it happens every sort of four years. So the International mm, yeah. Marine Protected Areas Congress, and uh, there's plenty of updates online if you want to find out what some of the outcomes were from that. But we're not here to talk about Impact 5 today so much. We're here to talk about your startup, On Deck Fisheries AI. How about you just give everyone out there a bit of a spiel about your startup, 
particularly the problem that you're trying to solve and the solution that you've created? Yeah, happy to. So the problem we're solving is the world needs a way to scalably monitor fishing activity. Because as boats are out at sea, kind of a thousand kilometers offshore, we need a way to make sure they're actually following the rules that regulators have put in place. So we need a way to see what folks are doing on deck, hence on deck fisheries AI. And the best way that's done today is a camera is placed on the boat that films uh, for the whole fishing trip. And then back on shore, some poor soul sits down at a computer and manually watches thousands of hours of video to count all the fish and, and audit their log reports to, to make sure they're uh, we're following the rules and didn't have any bycatch issues, et cetera. Uh, but the problem is that manual video review is so slow and so expensive that it can't be scaled up to uh, a meaningful uh, kind of impact across our oceans. So our mission is to make fisheries monitoring scalable and accessible um, to you know, countries all around the world that can't afford to pay somebody $100 an hour to uh, sit at a chair and watch thousand hour long movies. I found it so fascinating when you uh, sent your application in for PitchFest, a great pitch video. And yeah, you mentioned just how archaic the current methodologies are. And I'm guessing those video systems are probably only on a small fraction of vessels that are doing things by the book anyway. So there'd be a huge number that wouldn't have any of that. But did you end up speaking? Uh, I know you've done a huge amount of interviews in your research phase for this startup. Did you talk to some of these people who actually did that video review work? That must be some very, very boring employment terms. It is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's we've heard this problems uh, retaining talent, like retaining these these uh, kind of reviewers to, to just sit and, and watch thousands of hours of video. Um, and there's also a huge problem of there's so much more footage being created than can be reviewed in, in Washington state in the US, for instance, they're a year and a half behind on video review on, on like auditing their fishing trips just because they're getting so much more footage than they could conceivably review manually. That's just insane. So. Tell me how this came to your attention. I could imagine that other people have seen this problem and explored how on earth they could optimize or increase efficiencies or efficacy around this stuff. So how did it come to your attention and how easy then was it to sort of look at your skill set and the team that you had around you in order to start uh, tinkering with a solution? Yeah, good question. So I studied, uh, just finished a bachelor's degree of computer science and biology, really focusing on fishery science. Absolutely love everything to do with ocean conservation. And in my uh, one of my last classes I took, I had this amazing professor, uh, Dr. Amanda Vincent, and a, and a guest lecture from Dr. Rashid Sumela, a fisheries uh, economist. They introduced uh, the problem of fisheries monitoring today and how it's a rate-limiting step stopping us from scalably um, and sustainably monitoring our, our fisheries because we have people manually doing object tracking. And so they introduced, hey, this is a huge problem, like really stopping us, huge problem facing the world. And then kind of said, okay, and next slide and moved on to the next thing. And then I was thinking to myself, hold on, I, I think I could really make an improvement here and make the world a better place. So I uh, talked to the professors and said, hey, who else could I talk to about this? Uh, this is really an interesting problem space for me. And they connected me to a bunch of folks in industry. And I just started rolling into customer interviews effectively at the time. I definitely didn't want to be an entrepreneur, never, never wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, now I love it. Um, but I was really just heading out, looking to learn more about the problem, seeing how I could maybe make an impact in this space. And then after 100 or so interviews, it became really clear that the world 
needed the like the best way to actually make an impact in the space would be a lean and fast software startup. So I pulled in the the smartest people I could find, my co-founders, and uh, on deck was born. So tell us a little bit about how it works then, and and how it can be applied. I mean, there must be such broad diversity in in the ways and means of various fisheries and how they operate in different vessels. So yeah, give us a bit of an idea of how the solution will work and uh, yeah, tell us that story. That's a great question, Tim. Everyone, uh, and it really comes up actually. So I'm glad, <laughs> glad you mentioned that. People always say, oh, great, you can automate it, case closed. Uh, but you're right, there's a lot of variability in the types of fishing, the types of review that need to be done. And so a big value proposition we're bringing to the table is the generalizability of our tools. So to date, there's the, the technology to count fish in a video has, has been around for eight, maybe 10 years. But what's stopping it from really being deployed in the world is making it usable uh, in both in the sense of making it generalizable so it works on more than one boat and making it usable uh, in the sense of making sure it's easy for a human to interact with and it really kind of involve in a real world uh, business workflow. Cool. Yeah. So I imagine there's going to be, you know, it's going to need to be impeccable really because at the end of the day, if someone does the wrong thing and is caught out using these tools, then it sort of becomes a bit of a legal challenge, I'm guessing as well then, right? So I'd imagine the bar is going to be set kind of extremely high in in how how robust uh, the solution will be. Yeah, absolutely. It's a similar situation to self-driving cars, I think, where in most cases around the world, the human observers are only held, held to a 90% accuracy standard, but any any AI automation will be held to a much higher standard, I'm sure. And what's really fascinating about this work we're doing is no one's done it before. No one's actually deployed this in the world as we're working with governments and, and fisheries monitoring companies, everyone's trying to figure out, okay, hold on, like, what is the threshold? Um, this is a really exciting space, uh, figuring this out with the stakeholders as we go along. Yeah. So who are going to be, um, you know, your, your early adopters and, and your first customers? Are we, are we talking about fisheries operators that are seeing themselves as leaders and pioneers and want to use that as a bit of their, their USP in the market? Like who will be your early adopters or is it really about chasing down those policy changes that'll dictate that the solution simply has to be embedded? How, how will you approach um, getting to market? Mm, another good question. Uh, yeah, these are great, Tim. So what's been fortunate about us and something that's really energizing about this space is we've just been uh, flooded with inbound uh, kind of interest from, from cold emails from anyone from the Australian government to, to other governments around the world or fisheries monitoring companies. So our uh, kind of first customers here are anybody who needs to count fish. <laughs> and so that's either a uh, government monitoring agency or some countries around the world, like Canada has actually privatized the uh, fisheries monitoring role. So they certify third-party private monitoring companies that go out and install the cameras and kind of put butts and seats to do the review. And in that case, we sell to these monitoring companies. Awesome. Oh, it's so cool. And uh, and good on you for recognizing that problem during a, a lecture, a guest presentation, and then uh, taking the initiative to say, well, you know what, I think I can contribute to solving it because that's really at the core of, I suppose, what we are so passionate about. It's the, the individuals, the oceanpreneurs out there who uh, see a problem and think, okay, well, if no one else is solving it, 
I guess that'll be me. But the key is then to have some fun and, and make it successful as well. So you're off to a great start. Let's go a little yeah. bit deeper into you. Um, you know, what is your real core motivation, I suppose, for, for getting into this ocean impact innovation landscape? You, you sort of mentioned it before. It sounded like a bit of an accident, but you must have some some core passion that motivates you. Yeah. Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to grow up on the West Coast of Canada uh, here in Vancouver. Uh, it's gorgeous for anybody who hasn't visited the Pacific Northwest. We've got kelp, otters, orca whales, all these beautiful things. Uh, and I have my uncle and grandfather were kind of lifelong fishermen and uh, even known as at sea observer doing the, the manual counting of the fish and grew up fishing prawns and, and just hook and line fishing with them. And from a very young age, just had this ingrained love for the ocean. And just for me, for me personally, and seeing the effects of for example, in, in front of our, our cousin's place, we'd go out and, and fish prawns every summer. Uh, and you could see the effects as, as as if the commercial fleet that year decided to put traps in our little bay, then kind of no prawn dinners that summer. <laughs> and then the next summer, if they decide to fish somewhere else, then like, holy smokes, there's tons of prawns. So kind of grew up really seeing how much fishing effort affects uh, livelihoods. And in my instance, didn't really matter. Uh, we could go to the store and, and buy a sandwich for dinner or something else. But there are a lot of communities in Canada, uh, especially on the west coast of Canada, that are, are fully and genuinely reliant on uh, fish for their livelihoods and for their for their food. Uh, there's a huge reliance on uh, salmon here on the west coast. And so growing up with both the personal love for the ocean and seeing the genuine real world economic and cultural reliance on, on fisheries uh, makes it something I'm very passionate to apply my skills and try to make the world a, a better place in this area. Yeah, and this is the the fascinating space around fisheries and this realisation that it simply must be that we improve the way that we do fisheries because the ocean can provide so much protein for so much of the world's growing population and we can have that equity and we can eliminate the waste and we can get rid of the illegal and unreported and unregulated parts. I mean, we can have a thriving global fisheries, but at the moment it's it's the Wild West. It's an absolute debacle. I mean, there's definitely places in the world where they've made great positive steps, but overarching it's it's a you know proverbial shit show so it's again, really? a really good um thing that you've sort of taken it upon yourself as a bit of a pioneer to get in there and make what improvements you can to add to that i mean a quote from one of my professors research is a third of everything caught at sea is never reported uh, when you mention the wild rest it's, it's, it's wild it's like a third of all mines in the world being unreported under the table like mining operations like it's a, it's wild when you compare it to other resource extraction industries um and also there's 600 million people around the world who rely on fisheries for their livelihood so it it is such a, a hugely critical industry that I'm, I'm curious how it is in australia but even in canada with such a kind of fisheries driven economy many people don't think about it they love eating fish but Often folks don't even know fish stocks are declining. How is it in Australia? Is it, do you find it a more kind of... Yeah, we have the same challenges. Those people yeah. that live in you know, regional locations with a, a close connection to the local fisheries can have great sort of peace of mind that what they're, they're consuming is, is localised and therefore subject to, to, to more rigorous policy. But in an increasingly globalised commodity market, if you're buying it from a major supermarket or it's coming into your fish and chips store as a frozen product, then that complete, you know, opaque 
supply chain is 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 right there on your dinner plate. So it's it's a shocking situation down here as well. Thankfully, one of our partners, um, Mindaroo Foundation, are investing a lot at the moment with a great alliance called the Fair Catch Alliance and have done some fantastic reporting, mending the net and really just trying to look at this problem in Australia because we know that if we can sort of tighten the belt around the policies here in Australia, we can sort of show what's possible for the rest of the world. But yeah, huge numbers of seafood coming into the Australian market are, are exported and therefore subject to very little rigour around where they've come from. Mm, yeah. So on to um, your sort of journey a little bit more then. It's obviously a pretty new startup. Tell us a little bit about some of your your key achievements in in the short uh, duration that you've been around. Yeah, yeah happy to. Uh, so yeah, we've kind of incorporated in April last year, so only existed on paper for, for under a year here. But already we've had loads of recognition for both our kind of business model, our uh, tech innovation, and for the impact we could have. And it feels really nice to get kind of proven on on both of those things because I know there's in the in the ocean space there's and then a lot of climate tech spaces uh, impact awards are great and then business case competitions they're they're often quite separate um, and so I've personally found it as as the founder found it very rewarding to win awards for both like hey the business makes sense also this is so great for the world please keep doing this <laughs> so that that feels great um, and for example speaking of awards and recognition this as you mentioned Tim the sustainable harvesting award a uh, huge thank you to OIO and Austral Fisheries. Um, that was terrific. Um, and beyond beyond these recognition, we've been running successful tests with with prospective customers, uh, and it works, which is always good to see. <laughs> and then just kind of get it continue to get uh, inbound interest flowing our way, and from here, almost more than we can we can kind of capitalize on. Uh, so it's a very exciting time. Yeah, I note on your your LinkedIn and your website, you've got a few uh, intern positions available at the moment. So you're obviously moving at a, a pretty rapid pace and, and looking for some extra helping hands and heads to, to help you move forward. Yeah, absolutely. If any of you out there are looking for uh, software engineering roles or a bunch of other stuff actually check out check out our careers page what's it like for you as you know you're only recently as you mentioned before um, out of your academic studies and now in the startup entrepreneurial landscape you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing uh, around the world i know you're a, a youth member of the sustainable ocean alliance and you're probably getting to interact with a lot of people just like you um yeah tell us a little bit about what that ecosystem as we like to call it is like for a young oceanpreneur like yourself such good questions tim so yeah i, I have been very fortunate to kind of be zooming around the world over the last year uh, from from norway to the us a few times um kind of bouncing across north america and at most of these conferences again three things come to mind uh, or the first one is it's astonishing to me that in the early days especially i was quite literally just a kid with an idea and already um people listen and people want to talk to you and people want to go beyond that and and like yeah all right this makes sense like let's let's do something with this i continue to be impressed with i'm not sure if it's it's our organization or with all all young folks with idea but a big lesson i've learned is is young folks with an idea can make a huge difference because we, we just started out because cold emailing like you know, that the at info yeah, <laughs> um, uh, emails for for anyone we wanted to talk to and if it's a good idea and there's a need for it people will respond so i've been really impressed with how quickly like all of a sudden, we're recognized as a, to, to quote a, one of the invitations we received to a conference recently, as a, a global leader in AI for fisheries. I thought, holy smokes, that's amazing. We started nine months ago, and we're now the global leader for AI and fisheries. So that was great. While I'm at all of these conferences, 
I am surprised by the lack of youth overall. The fishing industry in general, it the kind of at sea, it's a very aging demographic. That's a whole other issue. There's, it's um, in, in North America, at least. I'm not sure about Australia. I'm curious. But in Canada, there's a shortage of young fishermen. Uh, there's stickers around saying, save, uh, save us uh, an endangered species, save fishermen. And something that struck me about Impact 5 is they put a lot of energy into bringing youth into the conversation. So that was the first time I've been to a conference or any environment where there's rooms full of young people. It was amazing. And kind of feeling the energy off each other was was terrific and, and genuinely incredibly productive. Yeah. I mean, it's what really lights us up, you know, when we think about the, the future of OIO and the impact that we can make. Of, of course, it's going to be acknowledging our, our elders and, and finding ways and means to ensure that we could service those passionate entrepreneurs and innovators at all ends of the age spectrum but when you see the you know the the tide rising of of passionate youth uh entrepreneurs and people that perhaps maybe like yourself who who could have potentially undertaken a career in a more traditional science or government or got into a corporate sector bucking that trend and saying well hang on what's this whole opportunity around startups and you can start to people can show you the the capital that's flowing into these sectors and the the case studies of other businesses that are growing very rapidly because people are quite happy to to back the bold entrepreneur if the idea and the solution can change the game that's that's a good bet in in the impact space yeah yeah Something actually, so that, well, as you're saying that, it reminded me, I had the opportunity to meet the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, in, in Halifax earlier this year. And he had a great quote about the importance of youth. He was saying, youth are used to huge monumental changes. Everything in their life is, is kind of, they're used to their livelihoods getting flipped on the head. So kind of high school to university, huge jump, moving out, huge jump, all these life-changing things that happen all the time. And so they're, his experience, you're saying they're, they're much better at handling change and kind of existing and working in that dynamic environment. And that's something I think I really connected with because as I'm out talking to these bigger companies uh, that are much more established and have kind of a, a senior C-suite, especially in the fishing industry, they've been going the same way for a long time and it, it, it works for them so far, except for fisheries are collapsing, <laughs> but they're, they're not used to huge changes. And what we're doing is completely disrupting the industry. And they're asking for it. They're, they're all saying like, they're emailing us saying, hey, we need this. We want to make this happen, but nobody knows how yet. And so it's great having the opportunities to connect with youth that are very open to totally changing the way things work and talking together about how we can help kind of catalyze these big changes the world needs with other demographics is, is really important, I think. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, um, you're not naive to, to realizing just how challenging it is going to be changing some of these industries that have, you know, been able to conduct themselves in whichever fashion they deem fit for, for a really, really long time. But like you said, those people that can see on the horizon or perhaps are being impacted by rogue operators and want to set a new benchmark are going to be, you know, there's going to be plenty of them. And so that's what really, I suppose, signals uh, a really exciting future for you. We did speak before, I guess, about the key achievements. Do you want to sort of touch on some of those key challenges that you've you've faced so far or the, the key challenges that you anticipate for the future? Mm -hmm. Yeah, loads of challenges. <laughs> I think uh, I'm a 
realistic optimist. I'm always like very optimistic about everything, but um, there's always a thousand challenges swirling around in my mind, which is what, what makes it exciting. And, and uh, yeah, but I'd say the biggest challenge for us is, as I mentioned, we're, we're, we're changing the world. Turns out changing the world is hard. <laughs> so uh, like, so changing the way an entire industry does business is, is delicate. And that's something that I find very exciting about the space is the technology side of it is challenging for sure, but doable that the key piece here is figuring out the business puzzle of everybody wants the same thing. And we're just trying to get the puzzle pieces to fit together here. That's, I think the biggest challenge. I'm sure we can figure it out. We're already on our way here. And a bunch of these conferences are terrific for feeling the energy in the room from the governments to the monitoring companies. Everybody's pushing the same direction. We're just trying to get the puzzle pieces to fit, but it, it's challenging for sure. So how then will you, you know, tackle the next phase of, of your journey? I mean, we've got a question here around what's on the horizon for the next you know, one to two years. Do you sort of want to talk a little bit about how you feel or how you're planning for the journey to, to go from here? So the last year has been about testing our, our thesis, like, hey, learning more about the problem space testing our building it. We've built out our minimum viable product, run some tests. It works great. We have loads of people who'd like to try it. And so now we're kind of, we're all set to hit the ground running and really take off here. So the next phase of on deck is going to be super exciting because it's all about scaling and, and building out as not just a super impactful project, but a genuine um, robust company. Uh, we're as touched on earlier, we're, we're hiring. If anybody listening is looking for a job in, in an impact uh, software role, and really kind of uh, yeah, running a bunch of pilots and getting our first paying customers, getting what we've built out there in the world will be amazing. Mm, and we'll be following closely and, and helping to amplify your good work where we can. What about you know, obviously back again, acknowledging that you're you're quite early on in your your um, entrepreneurial journey. But you know, what are some of those key learnings? And it might just be, you know, you're targeting some of your experiences to those younger people out there, perhaps still studying, but have got one eye or both eyes firmly on this idea of being a founder and developing a solution. So if you wouldn't mind maybe touching on some some key learnings that you could share with people. Yeah. And this is one I'd actually love to hear your two cents on, Tim, uh, both as a, as a founder yourself and being in a position of watching so many founders move through this space. Uh, really, really curious. Um, I, I can answer first here. The first thing that comes to mind is anybody out there, if you have an idea, be realistic about it. Make sure they do, do some research first, make sure it's something people really need, but go for it. People will, people will listen. Like a kid with an idea can change the world. It's been wild for us, as I mentioned, nine months in, already being referred to as a industry leader in AI for fisheries, uh, which miraculously is true that like a, a kid with an idea can change the way the world works, which is really cool to learn that lesson. So um, take that to heart, anybody out there. And I think I was actually, so at Impact 5 last week, I was uh, talking about this question with a bunch of other entrepreneurs, uh, youth entrepreneurs. And we were, we were thinking the most important characteristic of an entrepreneur or a founder would be to know the truth of what you're building. And you have to earn this knowledge and it's not easy <laughs> to come by. Um, you really have to put in the groundwork of talking to customers, loads of industry research, all this stuff. But if you truly know the truth of what you're building in terms of the, a real market need and, and kind of certainty in that yourself, and it's always changing, you have to keep working at it. But if you know this truth, you can communicate that with anybody, no matter the background, be it kind of the business side, the impact side, skeptics. 
And I think it is really important for the, the third thing I would say, which is you have to be really good at taking feedback. People are going to just tear you apart. Maybe sometimes they don't understand the idea or they just have questions. And you need to, if you know the truth of, of what you're doing, it becomes much easier to be able to kind of learn like very good lessons about kind of any feedback. Uh, you have to be very, very resilient and constantly working on that like core truth of what you're, what you're building. I like how you've, you know, touched on your ones there, but flipped it over and, and sending it back my way. And yeah, really curious. A question that we get to ask of, of every guest who comes on the Pitchfest series of the podcast. And so there's plenty of examples in the vault of, of others. But yeah, my journey is quite interesting in the sense that the first project I, I co-founded, Take Three for the Sea, was one that was built on 110% passion and zero percent strategy like it literally just came because we saw a problem and thought it would be a good idea to do something and I think maybe deep down I, I knew that it could grow into something quite significant but it was never strategically uh, intended to go and become you know what could be I guess uh, seen as a global movement you were uh, saying before that at UBC there's a big push for people yeah. out there on coastlines to take their three when they're leaving a coastal area which is very cool it, it is uh, yeah it's Alive and strong up here. Yeah. So with that one, you know, I think that was just purely fueled by passion and that passion really can enable you to to ride above all else. I think I, I loved at that time just that adage around find a job that you love and never work a day in your life. Like it made all the really, really hard bits much easier because I was just so satisfied with the impact. So I suppose a lesson there would be making sure that you do get a chance to receive and reward yourself with the positive impact that you're making. Like always have a moment to stop and do a little stock take and, and receive that, you know, go to the ocean and, and feel that thanks. Because if you don't fill your cup, then you're just going to burn out and wonder why on earth you're doing it. Coming into, I suppose, the second learning, which is really about what we've done with Ocean Impact Organization. I mean, it's a much more complicated model. We're building something which really didn't exist. Picking up rubbish and building an organization around that, that's been done before. So there's a bit of a rule book out there. But what we're trying to do with OIO is super complex. So I think the really big thing for me was just finding a founder where you really nutted out the the complexity of what it was that you were creating and got really, really clear on the roles that each of us would undertake in order to build the thing. So we spent a huge amount of time. Admittedly, we were both in work at the time whilst we were strategizing. So a lot of time was spent building a bit of a, uh, a roadmap for how this thing could work so that when we opened the doors, we you know we didn't know exactly how we were going to do it, but we knew what, we, what it was that we were actually doing there. So co-founder is critically important. And then the other thing I want to say is surrounding yourself with incredible advisors because you've got to know what you don't know the answer to and know who's going to be your conduit to those really important industries and sub-ecosystems that you're not a part of. And I, I acknowledge that you you have done a really great job of surrounding yourself with some key advisors. Those are awesome answers. It's it's so true with the advising. Nobody, we don't have time. Nobody has time to learn everything again. As whatever Newton's quote of standing on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, and and I also really agree with the making sure to take the time to to fill yourself up. We have a, a saying. We we say it on deck of stay stoked. <laughs> Just never never lose the the passion and the excitement and the energy behind what we're doing because we're ridiculously lucky to be able to come to work every day and, and save the world and make the world a better place with innovative technology that's easy to take that for granted when it's so freaking hard <laughs> starting starting a startup and changing world so um, also like really like hearing what you're saying about 
picking up three pieces of plastic, great, easier model to, to kind of break down than, than, yeah, the Ocean Impact Organization is super complex. And what we're doing is super complex too. And as you said, there's no, there's no playbook for this. And I, I also really agree with, yeah, solo, solo founders fail, as I say, is a kind of a, a pro-verb in North America. Obviously, there's ex- exceptions to that, but I would agree that teams, teams are better. You can find so much strength in each other. And yeah, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go together. It's another, another good proverb. And you can just find fast people to run together with. Yeah, exactly right. Oh, awesome. Really enjoyed that exchange, mate. I think we can almost sort of move towards the latter stage of the podcast now. So it's a, a chance to sort of speak about some some things that you wanted to get to today that you haven't yet. Um, and obviously start to talk about where people that have really found this conversation fascinating can find out more, follow you and potentially even apply for an intern position. Yes, or full-time. We're hiring full-time now too. Yeah, so I we actually, Tim, we actually touched on, on all of the key things that I think are nearest and dearest to my heart. Uh, this has been fun. If anybody out there is interested in, in, in reaching out, you can find On Deck Fisheries AI on Twitter, LinkedIn. We're starting up an Instagram, anywhere you get your, uh, your updates. And we are hiring. <laughs> I'll say that once again. Uh, check out uh, ondeck.fish slash careers uh, for some cool roles. And actually, Tim, I do have a, another question for you. Is what do you find when you're interacting with youth and anybody that engages with this uh, podcast, do you find uh, questions that they're uh, often curious about following up on, or it's a good things question? That might... Nick, Nick and I went on a on another person's podcast yesterday, and they actually do a really good activity where they ask their crowd, you know, to send in things to talk about. And we just had a conversation yesterday. Go, we really do need to do this. You know, we know we've got this really diverse audience out there who who listen and enjoy the podcast, but we haven't really engaged in in much community feedback yet so yeah i just think um for me and for people i talk to about it it really is this the diversity in the founder stories the last podcast i recorded before you was with ben stern who's the founder of nobo who were the, the winner of Pitchfest, and kind of similar in a way like you know really young guy 22 years old but you know he's been building this business since he was 14 it's just a remarkable story but yeah, the youth stuff is just so inspiring and I can just imagine the ripples that these episodes send around the world to other people like you and like Ben who can be the real disruptors of the future if we give them the tools and the support to to achieve their greatest impact. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I was sitting on it at Impact. I was on an intergenerational panel and the best question from the crowd was from, a professor kind of representing that the the non-youth part of the intergenerational was saying like, hey, like we, as you mentioned, we would love to engage with the, all the innovation coming out of young folks and, and the huge changes they can bring. How do we do that? And kind of looking for more answers and structures and like, how, like they would love to engage. How do we, how do we build more bridges here? So I think this podcast is a, is a great step there. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously um, as an organization with such a commitment to, see an ecosystem built and to thrive, we will always be looking for ways in which we can support all ends of the spectrum to to make their first steps or to, you know, polish the the job at the end. So, you know, we've got our ideation program, which is really targeted towards early career ocean professionals who are potentially at that crossroads, you know, 
There you go, ECOP Canada. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think it's it's super important. So yeah, we're we're always going to be looking at what more we can be doing to to support all ends of the of the spectrum, and and we're just loving it. We're having a great time. That's awesome. Yeah, huge huge fans of of OIO and everything you guys do. Well, Alexander, um, if there's nothing more to say, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there. And yeah, we thank you again for coming on the show and for submitting a great application to Pitchfest 2022. And it was wonderful to be able to hold you up in the the highest of lights with that spotlight award and some great recognition. Yeah, thank you, Tim. Thanks for the, the podcast here. Really nice talking to you. Really enjoyed it. And if anybody out there has any questions about on deck or artificial intelligence for fisheries, please feel free to reach out. Love to chat. And yeah, until next time. Thanks so much. Guys, we hope you enjoy this episode. Please leave us a bit of feedback. It really helps us out. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review. On Spotify, you can let us know what you loved about the episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, feel free to drop us a comment or hit the like button. It means a lot.